guilty soul condemned by shame hear mercy calling out your name his blood can cleanse your every stain bring your failures to the cross hello and welcome to the community bible church podcast where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter weekly discussion of the book Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. My name is Joseph Brader. I am the pastor of worship and discipleship at Community Bible Church of Orange Park, and I am joined one more time by Fred Hoffland and Jim Peterson, two of our other elders here at CBC. Thank you guys for uh, coming back for one more episode. Good to be here. Thank you. I've enjoyed getting to talk with you guys a little bit about this, and you know we've had some conversations outside of the podcast, Jim, of course, in staff meetings where we're talking through the book as well, but outside of that with both of you guys as well, just kind of one-on-one about uh, some of the things that we're learning from the book, and I've just been really thankful for and encouraged by your perspectives and the uh, the ways that the Lord is working in you and uh, the ways that you've encouraged me and others as we've unpacked some of this stuff together. But uh, we are here on a Tuesday evening at the church office. We're getting ready for an elder meeting, so we're going to go straight from recording into uh, into a meeting. What do our elder meetings normally consist of, guys? What do those look like for our very curious listeners? <laughs> um, I, I would say a great emphasis on uh, prayer for the church, for the body, mm-hmm. for individual families that are in, in uh, crisis, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Talking about uh, strategic plans for the future. Not a lot of administrative stuff. Yeah. Amen. Hmm? Amen. <laughs> yeah. Much as I might like us yeah. otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> Jim Jim is great with the administrative stuff. I do not like the administrative. This is, this is why people like Jim and I are both on the same staff. Because Jim's really good at all of these details. And I'm like, can I just talk to people and play music, basically? Sure. And it works. It all fits together. But yeah, not a lot of administrative stuff in these meetings. They're more geared towards uh, shepherding and prayer. Yeah. Although there is administrative stuff that we have to deal with sometimes. Yeah, that's our that's our Tuesday night. So that's where we're headed after this, um, after recording. We're going to pray for a handful of you guys, actually, tonight. We're praying through the list of church members, uh, family by family, by name. We pray for about, what, eight, I guess, eight different families each week. So that's coming up tonight. Uh, and then just a really quick reminder as we dive in uh, once more that we are... Uh, are wanting to hear some, hear from you guys and get some questions from you guys that you might like to hear Pastor Matt and I answer on a, uh, a forthcoming season two of the podcast. So go ahead and send your questions to me at jbrader at cbcorangepark.com and we will start to unpack and answer some of those later this fall. But we're going to dive into the final chapter of the book, chapter 23, Buried in His Heart Forevermore. You know, I thought uh, a while back as I was reading the book that he would just keep building and building and building and end with like this huge bang, right? It would be this emphatic, amazing, whatever, you know, uh, amazing finish. Uh, and it wasn't, it wasn't really that. I felt like, not, not in a bad way, but I felt like he sort of landed the plane three or four chapters ago. And then he spends the end of the, uh, end of the book like taxiing up to the, what do you call it, the terminal or breezeway or whatever. Tarmac, thank you. Um, <laughs> you know, and kind of just slowly unpacking some of the implications and looking ahead at, at some things, uh, which was a really interesting but I thought powerful way to end the book. But we want to talk through some things in this last chapter 
and I have only two questions because one of them has like three sub-questions. So this is structured a little bit differently. He talks a lot about Jonathan Edwards early on and cites some of Edwards' works. But Jonathan Edwards argued that the purpose of human history is for Christ to essentially exercise and demonstrate his love. Do you agree with that statement? Do you agree with Jonathan Edwards? I think it's hard to disagree with him on that. <laughs> it certainly is true, and the, the heading I'll write under the chapter title, Ephesians 2, verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us. Yeah. And yeah. so I think he's certainly building on that, and mm -hmm. we, we wouldn't say that might not be the sum total of everything we'd want to put, but certainly the emphasis there, and we see that in Ephesians 2, 7, yeah. is, is there. And it's consistent, again, with the book. We think about how the book yeah. has been developing the focus on the kindness, the mm -hmm. mercy, the compassion, mm -hmm. the love that we see in Christ toward us before we were saved, after we're saved, yeah. uh, continuing for eternity. Amen. Okay, Jim agrees too. All right, <laughs> excellent. <laughs> uh, so I think we've already sort of started into the second part of this question, but why is that the case? Why is it true? Or why could we say with Edwards that the purpose of human history is for Christ to exercise and demonstrate his love? How does that work out? When we think about the redemption, mm -hmm. that, that the restoration, we think of God's design to have that fellowship with those whom he has created in his image. Yeah. And he does that in a way that it takes all of human history to mm -hmm. demonstrate and to magnify the greatness of his love and grace. Yeah. I think that that's where we begin to see and to think about and reflect on on that. And that is again the great encouragement to mm -hmm. us and we think how God manifests his his attributes, uh, the perfection of them as he accomplishes what we would have no hope of even dreaming of let alone being able to do it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the, uh, I know Fred, Fred has said, answered these so well that Jim and I are just like, oh, yeah, cool. What Fred said, yeah, ditto. Um, yeah. And one of the things that Ortland has emphasized throughout the book is that the heart of God, like the core of who he is, is love and grace and mercy and compassion. So it makes sense to us then, if that's true, it makes sense that all of God's activity in sovereignly planned human history is ultimately the overflow of who he is, right? Yeah, sure. Is that fair? It, it's just like bubbling out <laughs> into human history, and like that's what he's doing. Why do you think it's hard for us to uh, maybe grasp or to believe this idea? Well, I, I think it's hard because we are finite beings. Uh, that's yes, uh, absolutely. And God is not, mm -hmm. and so we we have we, we tend to want to compartmentalize things. Yeah, and just like the Old Testament, New Testament, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you you, you paint the we whole, don't unhitch them. <clears throat> see the whole picture. Uh, you can only come to one conclusion. Yeah, and that is God is love. Yeah, He is not hate. Right, He's not wrath. He's love. Absolutely, yeah. He is wrathful. He has wrath. 
he acts in wrath, but he is love. It's a different. We talked about you know actions versus. Um, oh man, I'm gonna forget the words exactly that he used. But there's something that it, it, there's a difference between who we are and the things, therefore, that we have to do because of who we are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <coughs> Why might we struggle with this idea? I agree with Jim in terms of our finiteness, mm-hmm. but because of that, I have a hard time having that whole picture in our mind. I think part of it can be because we struggle with circumstances in life mm. that yeah. don't all turn out the way they are. We say, well, why is this working out this way at this time? And that can be part of the, the struggle that distracts us at times. Yeah. And I think that the book, again, it is turning us back to thinking and reflecting on the heart of God, that is yeah. love. That it is not anything that happens to us we'd say is undeserved sinners don't deserve right they don't deserve goodness kindness and i think that by focusing coming back again to the very nature of god that there is the the hope the encouragement but sometimes we have a hard time looking away from our circumstances or ourselves yeah absolutely oh man that's so true i think too I wonder what you guys think about this, but I think sometimes we sort of pit the glory of God and the love of God against each other, right? So we would rightly, again, with Edwards, affirm that God is for God. He's for his glory, and ultimately everything that happens in history is for the glory of God. But we'd say, therefore, it can't be about the love of God, because it's all for the glory of God. What do you guys think about that? I'm not sure I agree with what you're saying. I think that when one understands the love of God, one begins to comprehend the glory of God. Oh, yeah. Oh, then we totally agree. I think part of the problem is we misunderstand them as separate. And because we we don't see the love of God and the glory of God as really connected to one another. And I, I think sometimes, I'll speak for myself, I think I have almost subconsciously not. I don't don't even think I knew that I was doing this. But I think I've thought if God is ultimately for his own glory, it would cheapen him being for himself and his own glory for him to also primarily somehow be about my good, right? And be about love for humanity. Does that make sense? It feels like he's almost like stooping down and we're like cheapening the glory to get love. Does that make sense? I, th- I think I understand where you're going with that. And I think that we, we have a hard time keeping in mind and handling the simplicity of God. He's not yes. a bunch of different yes. pieces. He's not now he's angry, now he's not. Right. Because he is eternal. And yeah. so we can have that tendency because, again, we ourselves. We, how we think about ourselves, we think about God. Think about God. Yeah, I was yep. angry yesterday, Absolutely. I'm not I'm yeah. happy today. And <laughs> so God must have been angry yesterday and now he's happy. Yeah, the, for the sure. challenge and we think, okay, there's the glory, there's the love, how exactly. does it fit together? Exactly. And as we try to do that, I think we look to Jesus mm-hmm. because that's where we see the glory of God and we see yes. the love of God yes. uh, so beautifully woven together in the person of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. And Fred, you have... Um, helped us to see that, I think, so well this summer in the book of Hebrews. Christ is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, 
who made purification for our sins and is now seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. All of those things sort of collide, if you will, in Jesus. That's where we see the glory of God and the love of all of these things, all of these things coming together. But yeah, I think sometimes we struggle just because we don't see gl the glory and the love as being compatible. And he can't be about both of those things in human history at the same time in the same way or something like that. Ortland, towards the end of the chapter on page 211, he describes Christ's grace as personal, not abstract, not just a blob, I believe he says, of sort of nebulous grace. How does that truth help us and encourage us in our Christian walk? It helps us, I think, that we look for that. Mm -hmm. It's not that we just say, well, I've got this stuff, grace, Right, but we have Jesus. We have a relationship mm. to Him. Yep. And what we expect, if we're aiming too low, it's not likely we're going to get a lot higher. Yeah. And so I think that understanding this, is, this personal nature, is a great reminder to us yep. that I need to seek God personally and seek that mm. relationship to Him on that one-on-one -on -one level, not simply. I've, I've gone to church and there's been an experience, but what is right. my daily life relationship mm. to Jesus like? Yeah, oh, that's awesome. Grace is personal because grace is a person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Jim, anything, any thoughts to add? <clears throat> Not really. Yeah. <laughs> it was said really well. Again, thank you, Fred, really. Yeah, and I think it, I think it can help us to understand, like, there is grace for me where I am, how I'm struggling in my weakness. If it's just abstract blob out there somewhere, there's always a part of me that's going, ah, can I actually get it? Is, it? is there enough there for me? Is there the right kind there for me? But if it's, if it's personal, both in the person of Jesus Christ and personal towards each person individually, uh, then I don't have to ask that question. It doesn't run out. It will never not connect to what I need. I don't have to worry whether or not I can tap into it. And I think that's an important thing for us to, uh, to believe and grasp as the people of God. If we're going to relate to God in our weakness and in our need the ways that he tells us that we're supposed to relate to him. As we finish up, do you guys have any, we're at the end of the book, do you have any kind of just closing thoughts, comments, whatever? This is just open forum. And you don't have to have anything. But just as we're talking, I'm, I'm just like, man, what have we not said that maybe you want to say? I think for me, the, the book has shown me a slightly new Jesus hmm. that I haven't always recognized. Yeah. The, there's a, there's a, a conflict in, in me from time to time. For instance, when Fred is preaching on, in Hebrews about the glory of Jesus mm -hmm. and all of this, and, then, and yet we're told he's gentle and lowly. Yeah. And that, that, that's hard for me to reconcile. Sure, yeah. Uh, but if you only look at him as the glorious one, it's much more difficult to have that personal relationship mm. with someone who knows you and loves you anyway. Yes, yes, absolutely. I would say that for me it's certainly been a great antidote to the ease with which that kind of legalism mm. can approach us. I've got to be obedient. Yeah. I've got to do this right. I've got to make sure I know all the rules and maybe I'll add a few more to it. Yeah, just uh, to be safe, yeah. 
but here again, looking at that, and it's not let sin the grace may abound. No, no. Seeing it's quite the here's here's the heart, here's the love, here's my oh my confidence, my security, and then knowing that grace of God, I can be gracious to others. Um, yeah. mm. Because if God has loved me when <laughs> I was unlovable, <laughs> then yeah. that should help me and remind me that when others are perhaps a little less lovable, <laughs> I can never still... never happens, Fred. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's, yeah, that's, that's great. I'll say just really briefly, for me, I think this came just in the providence of God at a really important and poignant time where the Lord was both doing some sanctification in me and... God doesn't do sanctification in like the maybe the normal slow like let me just chip away at things in me. It seems like it always every few years is like let's get the jackhammer and just destroy it, let's get stuff out of it, you know, which is great when it's done, but a little painful on the way. But uh, I was unpacking along with that a lot of sort of latent legalism that I didn't even know had existed in me, or maybe some of the baggage that I've carried from legalism in my past and things like that. And so this book just hit at the perfect time. And it's such a gracious time that has led me to such a deeper rest in Jesus. As I've known him and seen him more clearly, it's led me to rest in him in a much fuller way than I've, uh, than I've ever done before. And so I'm really thankful for that. I would stand by what I said early on when I was reading this and I said, this feels like maybe the, the best modern Christian book that I've ever read. Now that I got to the end of it, I would say that definitively. For me, I'm not saying it is for everyone else, but I think this has been the best, the most encouraging, most helpful, and most game-changing and perhaps life-changing modern Christian book, at least, that I've read. And I'm really thankful that we've been able to do this together as a church, that I've been able to share some conversations with you guys and some others over the last few months growing in it together and exploring some of it together. But as we wrap up, I hope that it has done the same kinds of things for those of you who have read along and listened along with us uh, as we've gone. And I hope that you have also been led deeper into the gospel and in the scripture and into a deeper joy and rest in Jesus and his person and his work. But I'm going to finish as we have every single week throughout this podcast with reading Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here you find your comfort.